Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? What a gorgeous day here in central Indiana. Hey, if this is your very first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us here at Greenwood, at Banta, at Franklin, at Garfield Park, down at Seymour, at one of our e-microsites, or if you're joining us online for the very first time, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests today? We are on a relentless pursuit to help you come to Christ and grow in Christ. For the rest of you who are not brand new, welcome back. So good to see you. You're looking great. Looking great. <laughs> Wrapping up a series today called Unreasonable started it about three weeks ago. We, we basically said that this series is triggered by a quote that I kind of came across a few years ago by George Bernard Shaw. He basically said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable person persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable person. We said that God has created you and I to make progress in this life, to move things forward. We are happiest, we are healthiest when we're making progress in our relationships, when we're making progress at work, when we can progress in our health and fitness, or wherever it is that we're putting our hands, we are happiest and healthiest when we're making progress. We are most unhappy, you can attest to this, when we're stuck when we're not making progress, when, we're, when the relationship is moving backwards, when we relapse, when we go backwards, when we get deeper into debt, that's when we become most discouraged, even depressed, and overcome and overwhelmed and stressed out. We were designed to make progress, but there are forces holding us back from making progress. We've talked about fear. We talked about the limiting vo the beliefs in our own mind and the voices in our lives from a coach, from a, uh, a boss, a parent, uh, so a friend in our life. We talked about distractions in week number one. There are forces actively holding us back from making progress, and that's why we need to become unreasonable people because unreasonable people bust through those barriers. And so in week number one, we talked about on how unreasonable people believe the impossible. We talked about Caleb and Joshua, right? Week number two, Micah talked about how unreasonable people embrace danger. Last week, I talked about how unreasonable people see obstacles as opportunities for an education and for transformation. So they keep on going when obstacles pop up in their life. So hopefully this series has been a blessing to you so far. Has it been helpful to you? Okay, okay, awesome, awesome. Today, we're gonna dive into this fourth idea of what unreasonable people do in order to bust through these limitations. If you're taking notes today, I want you to just write this down. Unreasonable people work harder and they work longer 
than others. That's what unreasonable people do. I'm a student of people. I like to watch people. I like to read about people, especially people who are doing great things. Not just on a big grand scale, but also on a micro level in their families and their homes. I love watching successful men lead their families and maybe run a business or be a great grandfather. I'm always paying attention to what people who are really doing well are what they're actually doing. And here's what I have found, that unreasonable people are working harder and longer than others. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about work ethic? It really does. Maybe you didn't know that. But let me, let me just show you one particular passage in Proverbs chapter 21. It says, good planning and, say it with me, hard work lead to prosperity. In other words, thinking ahead, looking ahead at the week, looking ahead at the month, looking ahead at the year, looking ahead at the next five years. Good planning, good forethought, and hard work in the moment lead to this thing called prosperity. You know the Bible is not against making money. This is a financial proverb. The Bible is against falling in love with money. The Bible is against turning money into an idol. It is not against making money. Money can be a tool to change the world. Money can be a tool to provide freedom for you. The Bible says good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to what? Poverty, cutting corners, laziness leads to poverty. The Bible says that we should think long and we should work hard in the moment. You know, today we live in a culture where there's not too many people that are willing to work hard and long. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? I have friends that are business, business uh, you know, owners and uh, one of the things that they talk about constantly today is that it's really hard to find people who will do hard work for long Hours. I'm not sure what the answer is or what the reason is for that. Maybe it's our entitlement culture. Maybe that people feel like they're owed something because they showed up. A lot of people want to make six figures, but they only want to work 20 hours a week. Have you noticed? People demanding more wages and less hours. They want to work at home. It's like, what's going on today? It's hard to find people who are willing to work hard and they're willing to work long. I love what Thomas Edison said. We talked about him last week. Greatest inventor of all time. 2,335 patents, one invention every 14 days during his working life. He had a cot in his office because sometimes he wouldn't go home. He'd just catnap and get up and keep working. This is what Thomas Edison said. Opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls. It looks like work. <laughs> people say, Thomas Edison, it would have been awesome to have a brain like his. It would have been great to have the intelligence of that guy. Man, he was so talented. The dude worked his you-know-what off. He did. That's why he was so successful. And he worked for many, 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 many years. We live in a culture today that, that uh, basically teaches us that everything can come fast. Everything can come quick. Have you noticed? We got popcorn that pops in the microwave. Doo -doo -doo -doo, two and a half minutes later, we're eating a nice hot bowl of popcorn. We live in a microwave generation. A lot of young people today in their 20s, they want what their parents have. Their parents are in their 50s and 60s. They want it now in their 20s. It took 30 years to get that stuff. We live in a culture today where we're taught that you can become an Instagram influencer and you can go viral and overnight you become a multimillionaire. Like people believe that stuff. 
Because there's one or two or ten people that have done it. They're like, well, I'm going to go viral in three months. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a living playing PlayStation. You know, it's going to go, it's going to blow up. You watch. My YouTube channel is going to blow up in six months. That might happen for like five people. But probably, it's probably not going to happen to you. We live, in a, we live in a culture today where our, our attention span is so short. I, I did a little study on this and a little research. Back in 2010, the average American's uh, attention span was 13 seconds. 2008, it was eight seconds. You know what the attention span of a goldfish is? Nine seconds. We, our attention span is probably even shorter today because of things like TikTok. I mean, how long do you wait before you scroll to the next video? And I'm not a TikTok fan. I don't think you should have it. I think it's terrible. But you got reels and you got this and people are just, are, are just addicted to videos. All right, the next one. It takes about th- half a second before you're disinterested and go to the next one. Our attention span's got even smaller. We want everything quick. We want it now. It doesn't work that way. Here, here's what I want to tell you today. If you, if you hear nothing else today, hear, hear this from my heart. Nothing worth having or achieving comes quickly. Not a great marriage. You can't have a great marriage quickly. You can't build a great business quickly. You can't build a great church quickly. You can't raise great kids quickly. Nothing worth having or putting your energy into, nothing worth achieving comes quickly. But we want it quickly. We want it now. We don't want to wait. Yes or no? That's the culture we're in today. So it's hard to find somebody that's willing to work hard and long. We've been talking about the Wright brothers in this, in this, uh, in this series because they are the example of unreasonable people. 1907, um, December 17th, they, they put a man in an airplane with an engine and the thing took off and it changed the world. Just 40 years later, we have you know, countries flying airplanes in the air fighting in a war. Amazing how the Wright brothers changed the world, changed how human beings exist on this planet. A lot of people think, man, it must be nice to be so smart. They figured that out. Not true. Listen to what Wilbur said. The problem of flying could not be solved by stumbling upon some secret like, oh, look what we discovered. Isn't that crazy? We got the thing to fly. Oops. Not how it worked but rather by the patient accumulation of information upon a hundred different points, some of which an investigator would naturally think it unnecessary to go into. They painstakingly studied every single aspect of aviation, tested it, crashed, tested it, crashed, studied, researched, tested it, crashed, got back up, failed, tried again for four years, 10, 12, 14-hour days. That's how they invented flight. Is this making sense? They worked hard and they worked long. Or take Michelangelo, for example. A lot of people know him from being the sculptor, the sculptor of, of the David, that, that, that uh, image. He was also a painter. He actually became a famous painter because the Pope tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Here's a picture of it. You've probably seen photos of this. This is the, you know, the most famous photo is you know, when, when God and Adam are coming together with their fingers. This is the ceiling, over 300 characters on the ceiling. People say, oh, Michelangelo, he was so talented. He was amazing. Wish I had talent like him. I could be successful if I could paint like him. But what we don't understand is that this took him five years 
10, 12, 14, 16 hour days on his back looking up. One of his friends said he started as a young man in his late 30s when he was finished with all the paintings. Five years later, he was an old man. He had a disease in his eyes from looking up, getting paint in his eyes. His back was totally destroyed. This is what Michelangelo said. If people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful after all. He almost killed himself painting that ceiling. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do that today. Here, come to church, work yourself to death. (laughs) What an encouraging message. I'm going to come back next Sunday. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that anything worth achieving accomplishing worth having, it's not going to happen quickly. Did you know, did you know that God is not in a rush? He's not. You are. I am. We're in a rush. I want things to happen quickly. I want things to go fast. We live in a fast culture, but God is not in a rush. Genesis chapter 6, not long after Adam and Eve screwed things up in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, fast forward, you know, couple of hundred years, and things are a disaster. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, listen to what God says. I saw the whole earth had become corrupt and filled with violence. Sounds like our world today. So he taps Noah on the shoulder, and he says, Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a boat from cypress wood and waterproof it inside, outside, then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior, and here's how big I want it to be. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Then I want you to get two of each kind of animal, bring them together on the boat so that after I flood the world, 40 days and 40 nights of rain and water's coming from the earth, all humanity's gonna die. I want you to repopulate the earth with all the animals. I want you to take your wife on board, take your sons and their wives, so there was eight of them. And then after everyone dies and the waters recede, I want you to repopulate the earth. It's like God pushes the do-over button. Did you know that we're all related because all of us came from Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives? Fun fact. What we haven't heard about this story, a lot of us have heard the story of Noah's Ark. What we hadn't know, or we, maybe you didn't know, is that it took Noah upwards of 80 years to build the ark. That is a lifetime of building a boat. God is not in a rush. We are, you are, we want it to happen now. We want to find that person we want to marry now. We want the business to explode now. We want to become wealthy now. We want, we want it quick. God's like, ah, let's do 80 years on this deal. God is not in a rush. See, time is different with God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes like, he says this. He said, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. We like the second part of this verse, like, oh man, God could accomplish a thousand years worth of work in one 24-hour period. We don't like the first part. (laughs) A day of the Lord, a day is is like a thousand years for the Lord. Time is different with God. He is not rushing. And so we need to take that into consideration and look at our life from a from a, a on a longer scale. Tom Clancy, some of you may know who he is. Here's a picture of Tom. He's a prolific author, fiction writer. He's written dozens and dozens and dozens of books. 17 of them became bestsellers. He sold over, watch this, over 100 million books. Some of you may recognize his work because some of his books became movies. The Hunt for Red October was a book. The Jack Ryan series were were, were books. Tom Clancy said this. 
An overnight success is 10 years in the making. This is the approach to life we have to take. We have to think in terms of decades with our life. Why? Because God is not in a rush. With that business, with your career, with your marriage, we have to think in terms of decades. With your parenting, we have to think longer term because God is not in a rush. We get so caught up in the moment, we want things to change and happen right now. And we become, we become impatient. So what do we do? How, how do we become unreasonable people? Well, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to take the long view. If God is not in a rush, we have to take the long view. There's another great story in the Bible about how God takes his time. Genesis chapter 12, God taps a guy named Abraham on the shoulder. I talk a lot about Abraham because he's sort of the father of our faith and through him we get, you know, Jesus and, and without Abraham we wouldn't be here. And so Abraham's kind of a big deal in the Bible and God taps Abraham on the shoulder and says, hey, I'm gonna bless you. In fact, I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 12, verse two. I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. He goes on to tell him your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. You're, through you, I'm going to bless the, the entire world. Of course, he was talking about Jesus, but he's gonna, he needed to do it through his sons, through his lineage, through his, through his offspring. And so years and years go by after this statement, and Abraham begins to wonder what's taking so long. So one day, God comes to Abraham and says, a couple chapters later, Genesis chapter 15, he says, hey, let me remind you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Listen to Abraham's response. He's like me. He's like you. He's like, uh, sovereign Lord, uh, what good are all these blessings when you haven't even given me a son? Like, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I, and I sort of believe you, but... All I have is my servants. I have a servant in the house. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna bless the world through my servants? He's not even from my bloodline. He's not even from my body. Listen to how God responds. He says, "No, I'm not gonna do it that way. I told you, I'm not gonna bless the world through your servant. I'm gonna give you an heir. For you will have a son, and 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 he will be your heir." So he kind of God doubles down on his promise of what he's gonna do. And then something something crazy happens. Nothing. For another decade, 10 more years go by. You talk about patience. You talk about God not being in a rush. And so Abraham gets antsy. And you know the story. What does he do? He's like, well, you know, God said he's going to give me a son. I guess I better, you know, literally take matters into my own hands. He takes his wife's servant and, and, and sleeps with her. She gets pregnant and she gives birth to a son, Ishmael. And, he, and, and Abraham thinks he's figured it out. God's like, no, that wasn't my plan. How many times have you created an Ishmael? Not, not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> some of you have created some Ishmaels, but another sermon for another day. <laughs> How many times have we become impatient and taken matters into our, hand, into our own, own hands and messed it up? Thankfully, thankfully, we serve a God of grace and mercy, and God covers Abraham's mistake and, and, and blesses Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the son of promise. And so more time goes by. And then finally God delivers on his promise. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, gets pregnant. She gets pregnant at 89. She delivers when she's 90 years old. Ladies, just picture that. <laughs> Giving birth at 90. <sighs> Bible says that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was 10 years younger than him. So let's do the math here real quick. From the time that God told Abraham that his wife was going to be pregnant until the time she gave birth, it was 25 years. 
Do you think God is in a rush? Yes or no? He is not in a rush with you, with your life, with Abraham's life. He walks slowly. Great things take time. We've got to get that in our mind. So we've got to take the long view. Some of you may know who William Wilberforce is. If you don't, here's a drawing of him. He lived back in the 1700s, so they didn't have photography back then, but this is the best uh, image we could find of him. William Wilberforce probably is, is... one of the most uh, influential people that on the planet. People don't hardly even know who he is. He was born in the 1700s into a prominent family in England and uh, had aspirations to enter into parliament. He does. And he, at his, at, as he um, became an adult, he came under the teachings of a pastor named, um, oh man, what's his name? The guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Slipped my mind. Anyway, uh, pastor in England there, uh, John Newton, sorry, just came back to me. And John Newton was, was this really influential pastor in England, and he's known today because, again, he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. And John Newton, before he became a pastor, was a slave trader in England. He would literally profit from selling slaves, packing human beings into Huge boats, hundreds and hundreds of people, African, uh, at Africans at that time, into these small, tiny little places with hardly any food and no sanitation. And he would sell them and ship them off to America and all, all these different places. Horrific, horrific acts. Many of those folks would die because of the poor sanitation and lack of nourishment. Well, John Newton gets saved, and he sees how horrible this is, and God convicts him, and so he becomes a pastor. He starts preaching against it. Well, I, uh, William Wilberforce sits underneath Newton's teaching, and he feels like God calls him to end the slave trade. So he, as a member of parliament, he starts to write anti-slavery legislation uh, year upon year into parliament. So he writes it one year, it gets rejected. He writes it again, it gets rejected. He writes it again, it gets rejected. He writes it again, it gets rejected. For 18 years, he writes anti-slavery legislation in parliament, starting in 1790. Fast forward 18 years, finally, after gathering enough energy and get enough knowledge of what was going on on these ships, parliament passes the Slavery Act of, 18, of 1807 and abolishes the slave trade in England. 18 years. Now, that didn't abolish slavery. Slavery was still legal. That just abolished the slave trade. So due to poor health, William Wilberforce has to, has to uh, resign from parliament, but he continues building momentum and builds a coalition to actually end slavery. So he continues to gather energy and information and, 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 and continues to support legislation to end slavery until finally in 1833, The Slavery Abolition Act was passed of 1833, and slavery was abolished in England completely three days before Wilberforce died. He gave over half of his life to end slavery. See, what did he do? He took the long view. What if he would have said, after three years of writing writing legislation, oh, this didn't work. No, no, you know, no, they won't accept it. uh, I I tried, I gave up, because that's what we do. Right? In a marriage, in a business, it's like, oh man, I tried for two years. I can't get this degree. I can't get this woman figured out. I can't get this man, you know, shaped up. And well, I'm just gonna bail. We we quit, we give up. Now I'm not saying there's never a time to quit on things. There are. 
There are necessary endings. But man, it's become so hip and cool just to throw in the towel. But that's not how great things are accomplished. They're accomplished when someone takes the long view. Yes or no? You hear me? God is not in a rush. It took Abraham 25 years to receive the son of promise. So we got to take the long view. That's what unreasonable people do. Secondly, unreasonable people commit to the daily grind. And I'm not talking about coffee. I'm talking about work. (laughs) Here's what the Bible says from the mouth of King Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, with all your strength, with all your energy. Don't put half-hearted effort into your job, into your marriage, into your parenting. Go all in. I believe the Apostle Paul got his language for the New Testament in Colossians chapter 3 from this verse. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your energy. Not uh, not working for human masters, but but working for the Lord. See, you think you have a boss, and you kind of do, but you kind of don't. Your boss is the Lord. You're serving Christ when you go to work every single day. And you also have a human boss. But we're to work at our jobs with all of our heart because we're serving the Lord. We're to have a tremendous work ethic. We're to be the hardest workers every single day. We're to take the long view, and then we're also to take the short view of the 24 hours in front of us. How are we going to work our hardest today? Some of you may know Patrick Ben David. He's a successful, massively successful entrepreneur. He has a YouTube channel. Sometimes I dial in because he interviews really influential people. Uh, I saw an interview a couple years ago uh, that he did with Kobe Bryant shortly before Kobe actually passed tragically in a helicopter crash. Um, and and I, saw, I watched this video. It was unbelievable. Really good video. If you don't know who Kobe Bryant is, I really feel sad for you. Um, if, but if you don't know, he basically is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, he, uh, he won five championships. He won the scoring record twice. He was 18 times. He was an NBA all-star. He was the 2008 MVP. I mean, I can go on and on and on about his accomplishments, Uh, but Kobe was incredible. Now, we all know he wasn't the GOAT. Um, That's, you know, that's an understanding that we have between us. Uh, um, I don't even have to say who the GOAT is, but I can tell you that his name doesn't begin with an L. So, um, but Anyway, I digress, another conversation for another day. But Kobe, that doesn't take anything away from Kobe. Kobe was amazing. A lot because he copied his game after the GOAT, right? Patrick Ben David asks this question to Kobe. You can watch the interview on on YouTube. He says to Kobe, okay, tell me about your work ethic. How hard did you work and, and what was your discipline like? This was Kobe's response. Every day. I mean, for 20 years, it was an everyday process. That is an insight into greatness because it's the short term, the daily grind. What am I doing today to bust it? And then I'm going to do this thing for 20 years. Did you see it? Say yes. Yes, did you see it? This is the insight I want you to see Today, that unreasonable unreasonable people think 20 years, 30 years, Noah thought 80 years, hopefully you don't have to think that long, and then they go, what's going on today? What do I got to do do today? There's a great interview that Alan Iverson did, and if you don't know who Alan is, again, I feel bad for you, but... (laughs) 
Alan's talking about a situation he had with Kobe. He's flying into LA from Philly to play a game and Kobe picks him up at the, at the airport and they go out and they have a nice meal and they enjoy themselves. And, and uh, at, after the meal was over, it was kind of late and Kobe asks uh, Alan, like, Where are you gonna, what are you gonna do for the rest of the night? And Alan said, well, I'm gonna go to the clubs, you know? That's what, that's what I, I like. And so, and then he says, well, what are you gonna do? And Kobe says, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to work out. And that's the difference. How many championships does Allen Iverson have? Zero. How many does Kobe have? Was, was the difference talent? I mean, those of you who know, know NBA basketball, I mean, the t- what? It wasn't talent. Kobe's talented. Iverson's insanely talented. The difference was practice. Remember, remember Allen? Practice. You talk about practice? Practice? You want me to practice? Practice? I mean, on and on and on. Where was Kobe when Allen was talking about practice? He was in the gym. In fact, the night that Kobe Bryant got drafted, he was 17. He skipped college, right to the NBA. The night he got drafted, he went to the gym for a workout. <laughs> Completely unreasonable. What am I saying to you today? Here's what I'm saying. Unreasonable people work harder and longer than others. That's why they do what they do. Unreasonable parents with their kids, business people. Uh, you know, I'm not talking, I know that, that I'm not talking to a group of people who are gonna become NBA all-stars. I, I just know that. Uh, or we're or, or gonna do something like, you'll paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Uh, these, are, these stories are inspirational to us. I know most of us are just basically gonna try our best to have a great marriage and raise great kids and maybe have a great job and great career and have influence at work and, and, and help build a great church. But, but those, that's what I'm talking about. How can you be incredibly successful where you are in your space. You're going to have to work harder and longer than other people. You cannot give a half-hearted effort and think short-term. If you get stuck in short-term thinking, you're going to throw the towel in because great things take time. My wife is sitting here. We've been married 23 years. I think we have a pretty good marriage, do we? It's taken a long time. My daughter sitting over here to my right, she just won the homecoming queen for Center Grove High School. You're awesome. Really, really really proud dad moment there, you know. But it's taken a long time, 18 years. I've got two sons in college. It's taken a long, like all this stuff, this church. Think about this church. You know, we're getting ready. We celebrated 45 years uh, last, last, uh, this August. It's taken a long time to do this stuff. What am I saying to you today? Take the long view and commit to the daily grind. You will stand out. You will stand out above the crowd if you simply take that approach. You say, oh, I don't have time for that. I really don't. I'm just... I'd love to grind like that. I'd love to make a difference. I'd love to be able to invest in the, you know, all these different things and, and, and be successful, but I just don't have time. And, and I assure you that you do. Let me show you. Let me show you. If we all have 24 hours a day, which we do, we do, I'm going to give you seven hours for sleep. I know some of you take more. Some of you take less, but let's just say seven. So seven hours is gone out of the 24. You're supposed to spend an hour with God. 
So I'm just gonna assume that you're doing that, praying, reading. I encourage you to do that all the time. And so we're gonna give you an hour with Jesus, journaling, prayers, all that stuff. Two hours for eating. I thought that was fair. You know, I don't take that long to eat, but some do. Um, but I, I like to eat fast. Any, other, any, any fast eaters out there? I like to move on with my day. But I still gave you two hours. Then there's an errand. You gotta go to the bank. You gotta run to the grocery store. You gotta do that. So I'm gonna give you an hour, okay? I know some, sometimes it's longer than that, but on average, about an hour. Then you gotta work out. You're supposed to work out, right? How many of you working out? Okay, we need more people to work out. We gotta go work out. <laughs> Take care of your body. It's the only one you get, right? There's no do-overs. Okay, so, so we're going to work out, give you that. Um, then there's recreation. This is, this is like, like family time, maybe Netflixing time, uh, maybe TikTok. I do not recommend that or getting on social media. Uh, people are TikToking themselves to death. Have you heard? One person died TikToking? I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but... But I'm sure you could if you stay on it for eight hours a day. But so, so, so I'm going to give you two hours. Some of you need to stop TikToking that much or whatever, reeling or whatever you're doing. And now I can really say that, that that's, that's a word from the Holy Spirit. Like, stop it. Okay, so we're going to recreate for two hours. Then there's an interruption. Something happens. You got to run over here. You got to run over there. You got to take care of a problem. Guess what happens? After all that stuff, you still have nine hours left in your day to grind to pursue your passion, to make a difference, to learn a language, to get in shape, to do whatever. Nine hours, you say, Pastor Danny, you totally missed it. You forgot something. No, I didn't. You got a job. You got a job. I know you got a job. Or, or you should have a job. But, but if you don't have a job, man, you really do have nine hours. But if you have a job, let's just say, let's just put in eight hours right there. On average, you put in eight hours. And I know some of us are lucky enough to have a job where your, your passion and your work align so you really do, like Kobe Bryant did, you really do have nine hours or more a day to put into your profession, the thing you're trying to do that's going to impact the world. But a lot of us do not have that. We have to go to a job we don't like to pay the bills. I get that. But even if you fall into the latter category, you still have one hour left. Did you see it? And you've worked out, you've spent time with God, you got interrupted, you ran your errands, you went to work, you got seven hours of sleep, you have the time. There's no excuses. Yes or no? Yes? Yeah. So here's my question. Here's my question. Ready? What could you do with one hour? You got it. I just showed you how you have it, right? I know this ebbs and flows and some of you have small kids and life changes and there's phases of life. I get all that. But I'm talking about generally speaking. We can find one hour to get in shape. We can find one hour to start a podcast. We can find one hour a day to start a business. We can find one hour a day to learn a language. You can find one hour a day to start some new side hustle. You can do it. Because guess how many hours a year one hour a day is? Quick math, quick math. 365 hours a year. Did you see how I did that? That's a lot of time. 365 hours a year to do what? To think long-term and to grind every single day. That's why I have a podcast. That's why I have a blog. That's why I work out. That's why I do these different things. Because I know, I know I have the time. It's why, it's why my wife and I invest in real estate. It's why I do all the things that I do. I pastor the church. I do lots of stuff. Sometimes I go speak at a camp in the summer. Sometimes I'll go speak at another church. Why? 
Because I have, I'm making the time to push things forward and make progress. You have the time and I have the time. We make time for what matters most. Isn't that right? Unreasonable people are willing to work harder and longer than others. And that's why they're having breakthroughs and that's why they're becoming the person that God created them to be and they're doing the things that God created them to do. What can you do with your one hour? Now, as we wrap up, I've talked a lot about work today. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart, right? The Bible says we need to have a tremendous work ethic. We need to think long-term and short-term and we need to grind every single day. All that's good. But you know what's interesting? There's something that we can't work for at all in this life. And that is a relationship with God, salvation. In fact, the Bible says the exact opposite. It, a relationship with God, receiving God's love, receiving God's grace, it's something you could never earn. Let me show you where it says that. Ephesians chapter two. For it is by grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what that word means. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, through confidence, through trust in Christ. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't work for a gift, you receive a gift. Not by works so that no one can boast. What does that mean? That means that no one can brag about knowing God. I cannot stand here today and say, well, I know God and I'm a child of God because I've done this, 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 and this, this. No. The Bible says our works of righteousness are like filthy rags. There's nothing we could do to ever earn God's favor. We cannot keep the laws. We cannot be little good, little boys, good little boys and little, little good girls. We can't do it. We only receive God's favor through faith. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, to do for you what you could not do for yourself. If we could earn God's favor, then Jesus' death on the cross was meaningless. There's no point to it. If we could just simply work our way and earn our way to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. Christ paid the price for it. Sin separates us from God and there's nothing we could ever do to reconcile ourselves to him. And that's why Jesus came, we needed a savior. And when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust in him, we receive the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with God. And maybe for some of you that just clicked. You've been trying to earn God's favor. You've been trying to work for salvation. There's a lot of people out there today, tons of people out there today that think that if they live their life trying to have their good works outweigh their bad works, that in the end when they die, God will say, oh, look, you're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good girl. Come on in. That's not how it works. That would have been earning God's salvation, and we cannot do that. We need Christ. And so if something just clicked in your mind and you feel like, man, that makes sense to me. I need to trust in Christ. I need to put my faith in Jesus and stop relying upon myself and my works. I'm gonna invite you to pray a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of trust, receiving God's grace, his forgiveness. If you feel led to right now, whatever location you're at, watching online, take this moment, bow your head, close your eyes, reach out in faith to Christ and just express your faith through this prayer. Dear Jesus, I bring nothing to the table. I've got nothing to offer. I cannot earn your love. All I can do is receive. I believe you died in my place. 
canceling my sin, washing away all of the wrongdoing. And so I reach out in faith and I receive your grace. Forgive me, cleanse me, and make me your child. I place my full trust in you. From this day forward, teach me to love you and obey you, honor you, work hard for you, and do and become all that you've created me to do and become. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to celebrate with you. The Bible says when one person turns to Christ, there's rejoicing in heaven. We would love to help you out today. If you trusted Christ today, you prayed that prayer. We want to put a box in your hands. We call it our saved box. Uh, there's a Bible inside this box with some instructions to get started in a small group, baptism, and there's also a coffee mug in here to say congratulations. If you text the word SAVED to 65248, you can grab one of these at the information desk at your campus. If you're watching online, you can give us a little bit more information, and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. Hey, really quick, before we wrap up, this series has been a challenge, and I hope it's been a blessing to you, uh, but I have had some criticism about it. You know, people have said, hey, you know, seems like you're really putting a lot of focus on, on, uh, on humans, and it seems to be, uh, you know, somewhat secular, and, and, and I understand that, and I know I'm never going to please everybody. I'm in the wrong job if that was my goal, um, but I, I do understand that I can take the criticism, no problem. But here's what I want to say maybe to some of you that may be thinking this, this series was a little off. Um, as Christ followers, sometimes people of faith, we tend to, we tend to uh, I think, lean too much into, um, you know, hey, I need, can you pray for me? And I need God's help. And, and uh, you know, uh, God really needs to come through for me. And I believe all that to my core. I do. I believe God wants to help us. I believe that we should pray. I believe we should trust in him. Um, but I also believe this, that God is not going to do for you what he expects you to do for yourself. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And so I'm always going to teach you. I'm always going to teach you to trust in him. I'm always going to teach you to pray. I'm always going to teach you to rely on him. And then I'm going to get into your business. And I'm gonna tell you to start grinding because there is responsibility on your part in this deal. He's not gonna do the heavy lifting. He's gonna tap you on the shoulder and he's say, write the legislation. Like slavery doesn't get overturned in our world today unless Wilberforce writes the le legislation. God didn't write it. You with me? He didn't. Wilbur Wilberforce wrote it. God told him to write it, but he wrote it. You know, Tom Clancy wrote the novels, right? Like who painted the ceiling? Michelangelo painted, God didn't paint the ceiling. Michelangelo painted the ceiling. Like, so there's things you must do. And then as we do it, we, try, we pray and we trust God. Here's how St. Augustine said it. He said, pray as if everything depends on God and then work as if everything depends on you. And that is the balance of that, those are the two sides of the coin. And so I hope that helps if this series kind of hits you in a way like, hey, how come Danny doesn't preach more about like trusting God? It's because there's two sides to the coin. Make sense? All right, all right, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We, we do trust you. and We ask for your help, your divine assistance, your strength in our life. We ask you to support us and fill in the gaps and help us as we 
as we try to live our lives. God, help us to take responsibility of what, what our part is so that we can live the life that you've created us to live, so that we can become the people you created us to be and accomplish the tasks that you put us on this planet to accomplish. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. I love you guys. See you next week.